Hello and welcome. You've tuned in to the School of Ministry podcast. Paul is your Bible teacher today. If you have questions you would like addressed, let us know. Maybe you have a need in your life and want to know how the Bible gives answers that apply to us today. Feel free to contact us. Now enjoy the lesson. Talking about some difficult passages here in Luke 16, it seems like they're kind of disjointed. I've entitled this now three different titles in going through this. I, first I called it the in-between passages, and then I called it the transition, and finally ended up with calling it the Law and the Prophets, because that's what the Scripture says. So let's read in Luke chapter 16, beginning in verse 14. It says, Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they derided him. And he said to them, You are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The law and the prophets were until John. Since that time the kingdom of God has been preached, and everyone is pressing into it. And it is easier for heaven and earth to pass away than for one tittle of the law to fail. Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and whoever marries her who is divorced from her husband commits adultery. We're going to stop right there. When we first look at it, it might seem a whole assortment of thoughts, doesn't it? A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the unjust servant and that parable that was given. And I shared with you how my son-in-law asked some questions about that, and that really got me going. So I want to share with you some of those things which I've learned, and I think that you're going to see that the Scripture is in perfect harmony, perfect flow, and all of the transition here, Jesus has a very exact thing that he is trying to teach. Now, as we began chapter 16, remember he was speaking to the disciples, and he gave the parable of the unjust steward. So I won't review all of that. I love to go back and review, but I won't review all of that. Uh, I'll just know that you remember all those different topics. And then we begin in verse 14, and it seems that we're going down a very exact road that Jesus is confronting the Pharisees. That's what these passages go through. That's what this is talking about. And Lord willing, if we're still around next week, we'll talk about Lazarus and the rich man. Some say it was a parable. Some say it was an actual story. You'll have to come in next week to find out. We'll look at all of those. It's, it's beautiful in how all of this lays out one with another. The assumption is that conventional wisdom is that religious people are close to God. Isn't that kind of the way we think of things? If you're a religious person, then you've got to be close to the Lord. And religious people are then appreciated by God. Just being religious somehow increases that favor with God. That's kind of the assumption that we often look at or consider. And it makes God, because of that, he likes you more. What we find here in our reading, the Pharisees, religious persons, 
Now the Pharisees who were lovers of money also heard these things and they derided him. So as we see that, I think we're going to find that those people that reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, there is going to be the greatest, especially for those religious people, there will be the greatest condemnation for them. I don't know if hell has a hotter place for some than others, but I would just say that, that where they push false religion, they're going to come under greater condemnation. That's what we're finding here. And I want to bear out why it is that I believe that that's exactly what is coming about. Because these people were said to be good people. The Pharisees were good people. They were following the law. They were well-intended Jews. They were the architects of that popular Jewish kind of faith that was going on during Jesus's day. And they were often very much revered. They were honored. They were honored for their efforts. They were honored for all of those seeking to please God by their efforts. And the truth of the matter is that it was the exact opposite. It was the exact opposite because they wanted to be viewed by men. In fact, we're going to find that it was enough that they were scoffing Jesus, some versions say. Mine says they derided him. Literally, it means they turn up the nose. That's what that term derided or scoffing. They turn up. Have you ever seen someone that just <laughs> turn away? I'm not going to pay any attention. I'm not going to listen. So the Pharisees, in that sense, were God mockers. They sneer. That's another term, and that's another definition for that word, derided. They sneer at Jesus. They sneer at God incarnate. They mock him openly and publicly. That's what it said. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, also heard all these things, and they sneered, they derided, they scoffed at him. They do everything they can to show him disrespect. They're doing everything they can to demean Jesus. They're doing everything they can to assault him and to make in his, the public view, to make people not listen to Jesus. They assault him. They scoff him. That's what it also says in verse 15, because they wanted what they were looking for to be highly esteemed among men. You have people mocking God with their false religion and God viewing them as detestable. That's what the scripture is saying here. They are detestable. This is a hatred of false religion toward the truth and the hatred of God toward false religion. Let me tell you, God hates falsehood. God hates false religion. He doesn't hate the people, but he hates what it does. He hates how it draws them away. He loves the people. And I'm going to show you through these verses, it is God in his infinite love and his care that he gives us these verses that seem so disjointed. But we're going to see they are not at all disjointed. Because by their standing, Jesus standing right there, these Jewish leaders mocking God incarnate. He's standing there. He's professing by his own words, by his own works, by the impact 
the Jews saw the impact it was having on the sinners. Remember, we went back in chapter 15 and verse 1, I think it was, where he talked about, he began this whole section where now that he was, now all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. So Jesus is opening to everyone and it says then in verse 2 of chapter 15, And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke the parable to them. And he began to share the very parables that we've spoken of and looked at. And then it came down to the lost son. There was the lost coin, the lost sheep, and that son with the prodigal son. And so in all of this, those who reject Christ, they forfeit the hope of salvation because salvation is found in Christ alone. There is no other way. That's something that we're going to draw from these passages. It is our hope and our faith in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. There's no other way because we have all these Purveyors of false religion, they're doing their very best. Boy, they've dressed up. They look right. They're doing all of these things to where they're so careful in what they do. But Jesus is going to point out their hypocrisy. He gets right to the point. His words have impact. They've rejected him. Romans 1 says that when a man rejects the truth, when he suppresses the truth and unrighteousness and develops a religion of his own and then thinks himself wise, he is in fact a fool and subject to the wrath of God. That's what we're finding so much, not only here, but we find that in our world around. So we see some destructive components of false religion. I've given those to you in the notes. We've learned much of this already, of course, but people who are false religionists, people who are against the true gospel of Christ, they're outside the, the kingdom of God. They have corrupt motives. Verse 14 again. Now the Pharisees, who were lovers of money. <laughs> Enough said. They were lovers of money. In chapter 16, verse 13, remember the, the story of the unjust servant. And the Lord sums up to his disciples, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Right after that, the Pharisees come up, and what do they do? Oh, yeah, right. Sure, we're doing what we can. We're, look at us. We're prosperous. We're doing all of these things, and they deride Christ. So Jesus was teaching, you can't love money and love God. You're going to either love one or the other. But they hated, they hated God, the truth, and they loved the money. That's why he said in verse 14, the Pharisees who were lovers of money, You'll either hate one and love the other. And they, in fact, hated God and loved money, and this was always the case in false religion. You'll always see that they aggrandize themselves. They build themselves up. They puff themselves up. You might think, well, God's blessing them. God's doing all these great things, so they must be on God's side. They must be getting all of this blessings. Well, we'll, we'll see as we go through Will this really be the blessing of God? So secondly, we've learned that they're antagonistic to God's demands. 
And the reason is because they were listening to all of those things that Jesus had said. They had heard about the unjust servant. They had heard everything Christ had said. And it comes back to, well, this man received sinners. They were antagonistic. Everything that Jesus said irritated them. Everything. The evidence is that they were resisting. They did not know God. If they'd known God, they would have honored him. They would have honored his word. They would have looked at their heart. But he, as Jesus said, he who hears my word is the one who believes in the one who sent me. So if you reject the word, you rejected Jesus. That's in fact what he's saying. You reject God. You can't honor God and not honor the son. If you honor the son, you honor God. They go hand in hand. I remember having quite a discussion with a man that said, no, I believe in God. But I don't, I'm not so sure about his son. Let me tell you, the scripture is very clear. You cannot honor God without honoring the son. They go hand in hand. There is no separation. And so the issue is they were dishonoring the son. They were dishonoring God. And the issue was they did not like what he was teaching. They didn't like at all of that. They were not receptive to the truth. Their eyes were blind, their ears were deaf, their hearts were fat. They could not understand. They would not understand. They hated the teaching of Jesus Christ. There was no eagerness on any part to obey the demands of God. That's what false religion does. They hate the truth. The only way that you can get along with somebody in a false religion is to hold back part of the truth. It's the only way that we'll agree if I just don't tell you everything, but I'm going to show you here, Jesus tells them everything. Well, thirdly, another element of the false kind of religion that mocks the truth, has corrupt motives that are antagonistic to God's demand, they're self-justifying. Always. Verse 15, you are those who justify yourselves. They were lovers of money, justifying themselves. False religious systems have an element of works within them. You earn your way. You're, there's something you've got to do. You've got to get there by your own righteousness, maybe by your ceremonies or your deeds. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Sometimes in some false religions, it's, well, if I just fast enough, if I just sit on this rock long enough or whatever it might be, there's something that you have to do your own righteous deeds, your own goodness, that is self-justifying. You make yourself righteous. You do what you need to do to become righteous and therefore become acceptable. That's the concept. All false religious systems are systems of self-righteousness, of self-righteous works. Fourthly, what did they do? They were seeking human approval. Isn't that what it says in verse 15? You justify yourselves in the sight of men. That's what they were trying to do. It's all about looking good. It's all about being important in society. It's being thought of as being godly and virtuous, having some kind of a secret knowledge of God in order that I'm elevated, I'm somebody I really know. It's all for human approval. We've got to watch out. Fifthly, because they were evil at heart, because that's what he says also, but God knows your heart. Isn't that what he goes on and he says, but God knows your hearts for what is highly esteemed among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Being highly esteemed among men, God knows the truth. 
He knows their hearts. Their motives are corrupt. They're antagonistic to the truth. They're self-justifying for human approval. And God knows it because he knows their very hearts. The heart of people in false religion is detestable. They are known to God. They are known as being corrupt and perverse and sinful, wretched, detestable. They were a stench in the nostrils of God. They may walk around appearing very godly. They may go through the religious machineries as such. The emotions appear to be very holy, but the truth of the matter is they are a noxious odor in the nostrils of God, not a sweet-smelling savor. Well, there's another. We see that people in false religion reject the gospel and the kingdom. And this, of course, it's pointed out in verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. The law and the prophets. Now that refers to the Old Testament. We call it the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. They didn't call it the Old Testament because they didn't think of a New Testament. They didn't recognize it. They called it the law and the prophets. That's all that they knew it by. The law and the prophets were until John, John the Baptist. John is this bridge. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Now we have a new prophet, 400 silent years. And here's John the Baptist. We spoke a little bit about John in his prayer last week, his prayer life. John wasn't one to put on fancy clothes and Look at faring sumptuously. The scripture tells us about John in the gospel of John. It explains how he ate and how he dressed. It wasn't for the appearance of man. It wasn't for man's approval. The law and the prophets were proclaimed until John is the idea. And since that time, very important marker since the coming of John the Baptist, you have the ending of the old, the beginning of the new. John the Baptist is that bridge. Since then, the gospel of the kingdom of God is preached. The gospel of the kingdom is that door to the kingdom of God, and it's no other than our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what John was doing. He was pointing to Christ. He was portraying, he was showing how all of the law and the prophets, everything of the old, here he is. That's why John could say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was that bridge so that they could understand all of the things of the Old Testament were fulfilled in Christ. And here's Messiah and he's pointing the way he's that bridge. The kingdom of God is available. That's good news. That's very good news. It's open, it's in the way of Christ, and it's in no other way. So acknowledging Jesus as Messiah, when you acknowledge him as Lord and Savior, it's the good news of entering into the kingdom. But these had never really crossed into that reality. They've rejected the gospel of the kingdom, the law and the prophets. That was until John the Baptist. And since that time, the gospel of the kingdom is preached and you're stuck in the past. That's what Jesus is telling them. You Pharisees, you're stuck in the past and you do not even understand the words that you proclaim to be great purveyors of, that you're being great teachers of. It was an apostate form of Judaism. And it was no kind of true religion. And at the end of verse 16, he says, and everyone is pressing into it. 
Another version says, everyone is forcing his way into it. I like that. That's the idea of the original. Everyone is forcing their way into the kingdom. What does that mean? What does it mean that, that we can understand the law and the prophets when we're until John? But now what does it mean that the kingdom is coming and they're realizing there's a struggle here? It's hard. It's difficult. And I think the way to understand this is Jesus is simply pointing out that the door is open. The gospel of the kingdom of God is being preached, but it takes a magnificent effort to come into that kingdom. How so? This is not just human work, but there are components that involve the human will. I've always said that to get someone saved, you've got to get them lost. I love my little granddaughter. My little granddaughter goes around and she tells people, I want you to go to heaven because you are going to a devil's hell. You're lost. At just 11 years old, she just feels that she doesn't want anybody to go there. So you've got to get people lost before they recognize that they're saved. You see, that's why people are forcing their way into it, because you've got to put down that pride. I know when I was saved, I sat through several invitations holding on to that pew. I wasn't going to walk down that aisle. No, no, I'm too good. No, no, I, I don't want everybody to be looking at me. I'm thinking about everything that might be going on, and what are people going to think about me? You see, there's an, it involves our human will. We have to submit and recognize when the Holy Spirit is convicting, and He's drawing, and He's working, and He's working through His Word, you've got to say, I'm a sinner. These Pharisees had to get down on their faces, kind of like the publican in, Luke, in Luke's gospel. Remember, he would not even lift his face, but he beat his chest. Have mercy on me, a sinner. That's what Jesus is telling these Pharisees. That's what he's telling them. You've got to get down. You've got to recognize it. You've got to crush your pride, your self-will, and bring yourself into total repentance. But they had no interest in this. When the convicting power of the Word of God and the convicting power of His Word, the Holy Spirit, and I'm so sad to hear, as among some of our preachers, it's growing this idea of what I call determinism. That's what theologians call it, determinism. In other words, everything was predetermined. Some call it Calvinism. God determined that He loved you and not you. And if you accept Christ, it must be because you were elect. That is false religion, and it's not true. And this, this passage, again, just promotes that everyone can come into the kingdom of God, that God loves everyone. He's even taking time to tell the Pharisees, these purveyors of false religion, these ones that are trying to get everybody else to follow their way, a tremendous battle that's going on. That sinful soul that's going to bring a person that, to recognize that they need repentance. The Pharisees had no interest in reassessing themselves as wretched sinners. And it was kind of this language on the part of Jesus that was so hateful to them. They hated Jesus because of this. It was this kind of language, but he was willing to do and he was willing to tell them some people needed the force aided by that regenerating power of the Spirit of God to overcome the strength of their own sinfulness. You see, I think it takes the power of God 
And it is the power of the Word of God that brings men unto salvation. It's the Holy Spirit of God that convicts us of our sin. And then it involves your human will. I'm going to give up and I'm going to allow God His will and His way. Corrupt motives, antagonistic demands of what God's asking. They were self-justifying. The Pharisees were seeking human approval. They were evil at heart and therefore detestable before God, rejectors of the true gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today and we hope you enjoyed the message. We trust you've been encouraged, challenged, or generally built up spiritually. If this lesson has sparked questions or perhaps you have questions on a different topic, let us know. Our information is given on the website or can reach us at sclofministry at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. The angel upon the tombstone said he is risen just as he said. Quickly now go tell his disciples that Jesus Christ is no longer dead.